Hello and welcome to Horus Heretics. I'm William. I'm Neil. And today we are discussing Fallen Angels. I can't remember what number of episode this is, but... Uh, no, nope, me neither. But it's Fallen Angels, which is the sequel to the other Dark Angels book we read a while back. Um, and uh, yeah, Neil, how's, how's things? Um, I'm lo- locked down, Will. Um, it's good to hear your voice, though. You've been ill for a while, but it's good to know you're not dead. Yeah, I'm alive. Um, yeah. <laughs> That's good. I'm alive too. Good, <laughs> good. Um, so yeah, we will we will make our own small contribution to the content stream. Uh, to, <laughs> to the, the most important thing: <laughs> content. The stuff that goes into other things. Content. <laughs> yeah. Will we add to the fucking banality of life by contributing nothing? But at length. <laughs> yeah. Extensively. <laughs> Extensively. You won't have heard so much time dedicated to fucking nothing. <laughs> I'm I'm angry, Will. I, I'm sort of I'm sort of um edgy and uh pissed off at pretty much everything right now because of uh life world and everything. So I'm ready to jump straight in, but should we like you have literally been ill. Do you think you've had the coronavirus? <clears throat> uh I think there's a good chance of it. Um it's hard to say, really, isn't it? Because it's like the symptoms are so similar to... If it's mild, I was obviously... If I had it, obviously it was mild, then it's it's like a fever a fever and stuff like that. But uh, who knows? There's not many tests going around in this country, it seems so. Um, <laughs> no. Well, it's it's interesting because um, like we, we know from the, the few analytics that we get that most of the listeners to this show are in the UK, the US and Australia. And all of us have useless governments who are uselessly uh, attending to this big, massive problem. Everyone is shite in in these countries, it seems. Yeah, not great. Um, Boris Johnson, can I just talk a little bit about this (laughs) shithead? Okay. Yeah, go. Yeah, I mean, has there ever been such a worthless fucking cunt in the entire world? (laughs) I mean... Jesus Christ, he, he, oh my God, such a man for, for some reason wanted to be prime minister without seemingly any skills or any desire to make a, a worthwhile contribution. He just wants it for narcissistic reasons, which I think is uh, the complete definition of Donald Trump as well. Boris Johnson just talks in a, a, a posh accent and says some unusual words every now and again. Did you read the Marina Hyde column? Uh, no, well, I, I don't think so. No, uh, the, her most recent column, if, if anyone wants something to read, I just read through Marina Hyde's back catalogue on The Guardian. She is she is very funny. Yeah. She is astounding. Um, it, she, she rips into um, Boris Johnson and, you know, it's a bit much to say that, like, columnists or satire ever makes a difference because it, it probably doesn't uh, well columns certainly don't but it is nice just to have uh somebody lampooning these bastards because there there seems to be a um a kind of uh unified position through most political journalists now and political parties as well that we have come together to fight you know for the national good 
and have set aside party differences and, and that kind of thing. Journalists seem to have bought into that as well. And so they're not questioning very much of the utter shit um, decisions that have been made. Um, and it's it's just nice to have somebody... I don't feel that compulsion, by the way. Um, but it's just nice to have somebody to uh, step back and just say, no, um, these useless motherfuckers that other useless motherfuckers have voted in are being useless. Um, it's, yeah, it's a small mercy, but it's a mercy I'm availing myself of. So what I'm hearing there, Neil, is that that you want the emperor to establish his rule now, and um. no, I'm not saying anything about <laughs> democracy. Boris Johnson won because of Brexit. He had Brexit in his back pocket, and uh, and yeah, the emperor has had Brexit as well. That's what I'm saying. Um, Boris Johnson is the emperor. Is what you're saying? I mean, no, 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 because whenever the emperor appears, um, people talk about. Um, practically orgasming at the sight of him and that is what what's the opposite of that <laughs> a reverse reverse <laughs> reverse orgasms <laughs> just <laughs> regressing to your prepubescent state at the sight of Boris Johnson just losing all interests in sexuality <laughs> yeah that's what i feel okay that's what I've been sort of talking about in my own head while in lockdown for the past week. Yeah. Um, I mean, I tried valiantly to sort of provide a bridge to the material from that, but... Um, I know, I, I, I did see that and I thought, I, in my head, I thought, well done, but I wasn't <laughs> finished. <laughs> um, anything to add? Oh, you're Maybe you're more. you're th- you, you gave your segue a shot. It, <laughs> I wouldn't let it go, and now it's my turn, is it? <laughs> um, what about well, these you know, dark I, angels? Well, other other stuff might come up about uh, uh, the UK government in the course of this conversation, but uh, for now, yeah, dark angels. So, um, yeah, if anyone for anyone who hasn't listened to all of our podcasts. <laughs> <laughs> including the one where we discussed Descent of Angels. Why would they start here? It would be a strange... Episode 20-something. Uh, That's like, how look, I like to start it. Look, I found this weird podcast. <laughs> <laughs> it's about politics, I think, from from a, a, a rather uh, incoherent, angry Irishman. <laughs> um, but just in case you didn't hear our discussion of Descent of Angels, well, number one... We liked it. Yeah, uh, but best yeah. best one so far. I think we we agreed on. Yep, I agree, and um, it's still the case. <laughs> still the case. Um, so the the basic setup we had from that was that, uh, so the Dark Angels before they had well, sorry, before they had a Primarch. Uh, they had, I suppose they had existed before this as a Legion from Terra. But they were looking for the Primarch. But this this story was about the the planet where the Primarch Lionel Johnson uh, was, well, initially just roaming around in the forest, like a sort of uh, yeah. It was a it was a world of like valiant knights and chivalric orders, and um, Johnson came unified all of these sort of disparate bands. 
the world was a, a, a forested death world of monsters and uh, lions and creatures that picked off the human race. He brought them all together, destroyed all of these monsters um, in preparation for some sort of golden human future. And then the emperor descends almost immediately and turns them all into Astartes Superman. Yeah, and they're like, they're really kind of well, like the stuff they've been doing as knights has sort of set them up quite well to be Astartes. And um, yeah, they, they, so his big crusade had been to destroy beasts. I don't know, maybe he said that already, but um, yeah, he sort of achieved that and the emperor came down. And, and the sort of core characters are kind of two pairs. Um, one is Lionel Johnson, who... Uh, rises to prominence in the, amongst these knights uh, on Caliban and becomes Primarch when the Emperor comes down. And the other is Luther, who prior to Lionel Johnson had been kind of the the weed-in figure amongst uh, these knights. And um, Yeah, he, he, he saw himself and others saw him as the one, uh, the one person strong enough and charismatic enough and with all the different skills. Um, to be able to unite everyone and and lead humanity forward on Caliban, their planet, and then Lionel Johnson arrives, and he's basically the upgraded Luther. He's everything he is and more. Yeah, yeah and, and and really sort of puts uh, Luther, who was groomed for that role, just feels uh, like he he's been taken out at the knees. Basically, uh, everything that he had been promised and destined for had been taken away from him. Also, um, correct me if you don't agree with this, but I think one of the things we we thought was a little uh, weak in the the first book was that Luther um, Luther's kind of uh, jealousy or whatever towards Lionel Johnson. It kind of it wasn't. I didn't really feel that was that was a. Uh, written very well you know like um, yeah it, it just kind of like he was just a really helpful yeah generous guy until suddenly yeah no exactly it's difficult it's a difficult thing to write in these in these books because you have to write it really well yeah. um because yeah he he like was responsible for like um teaching lionel johnson everything because uh they discovered him as a child so he's very much like a father figure um, so obviously he loves him and he's um, he's his number one lieutenant. Um, but uh, yeah, you're right. The jealousy was basically described as and Luther then felt jealous rather than anything we picked up on in the sort of subtext of everything. Yeah. And then so that was one pair. And the other was uh, Nemio and Zahario. So we, these were two kind of trainee knights if you like um uh, who who i think when the story started they were really young like they were still like 10 or something weren't i they? think that's um, right yeah and it's it started with them um going through the trials to become knights and yeah i think the the we, we really liked their their interplay and their relationship because zahariel was sort of this um true believing uh aspirant who was uh, seen as a prospect, uh, like a really good prospect to be um, an excellent knight and a and a, a Astartes after that. Whereas Nemuel 
was much more uh, pragmatic. Is that a, a, the right word to say? That less true believing, just wanted to be a knight, just wanted to get involved. Um, but it, it, their relationship, th these two characters, never quite fit into the the normal slots that you would expect and that other characters have in this yeah. series. Um, they were different and um, it wasn't that Zahariel was like bookish and clever and Namiel was a meathead and stupid. There was a, there was a lot of shades of grey in their characterizations. Yeah, there was enough to sort of trigger your expectation that they were going to be such and such a sort of cookie cutter, you know, yeah. character, but then those expectations were at least to some degree subverted and, and yeah, it was kind of kept an interesting um, relationship between them two. Uh, so the basically where we're at by the time uh, this story is happening is the the Dark Angels so the Dark Angels uh, came to Caliban, Lionel Johnson became their Primarch, they started recruiting a lot of the um, knights from these orders into the um, the Legion, but it was generally only the younger ones that could be made genetically into Space Marines, uh, and a lot of the older knights, some of them st served with the, the Space Marine Legion, but they couldn't be sort of genetically enhanced. Um, and L Luther amongst them. Luther amongst them. And um, so they went off to join the Crusade, and then at the end of the book there was a an incident where um they were on a planet and um negotiating i think with us with a planet that they were trying to bring into the, the imperium and there was basically a sort of suicide bomb was it a suicide bomb yeah i guess yeah i i, I can't remember too much about it all i remember is that somehow they get a bomb aboard the ship with lionel johnson on it remember there was like a diplomat from that had come aboard the story it wasn't a suicide bomb as such although the guy was there just to die and the bomb to go off but this remember there was like an ambassador diplomat or something who was just like really rude <laughs> really rude to Lionel Johnson <laughs> oh yeah yeah like and Lionel Johnson um obviously had never experienced anything like that <laughs> yeah. in his life yeah it felt nice <laughs> um and uh and then the bomb went off but basically the the crucial bit for going into this story is that Luther had learned about the bomb and had uh, walked away walked away and was going to like allow it to explode and do whatever um, yeah. Zahariel uh, discovered it and was like holy shit Zahariel who in this book spends most of his time gasping at, at the you know I don't believe it something else happens oh my god I don't believe it He's a he is a bit more of a rube but in the last book um he discovers the bomb. Luther has a change of heart, comes back. They and they work together and disarm it, or I can't remember. That's unimportant. Yeah. Or they but kick it out in space, or they something. they kick it out yeah. in space, or something. Um, but somehow Lionel Johnson knows that Luther had this. Um, well, we're not quite sure, but he sends Luther and Zahariel and uh, a troop of uh, other, mostly Calibanite. Uh, warriors back to Caliban um, under the auspices of needing to recruit more troops 
uh, from the Caliban warriors and turn them into Astartes. But this is obviously seen as like um, uh, as punishment for something. Yeah, yeah. So, so that brings us on pretty much to the situation. <laughs> Start of this book. Start of this book. It starts um, with the Dark Angels uh, returning home from uh, being sent away. So it's it's they've been in travel for a few months after the last book. So that's where we start off, and um, they arrive at night. Uh, it's raining. There's no uh, honor guard or anything. They just basically land on their own planet, and it just it's like an ignominious return for these warriors who are feeling betrayed and um, let down. By um, by their hero of the lion. Yeah, but they they kind of are determined to sort of get their place back, if you like, in the crusade, and they they kind of set about the tasks that have been assigned to them with great uh, zeal, and like even on the I think it even said on the on the journey back they were like working on training regimes and stuff like that and. Um, and and I think when when they got off, uh, they were all looking a bit yeah like disconsolate about the situation. But Lionel Johnson sort of gave a rousing speech um, about you know how they were gonna. Luther did. Oh, sorry, yeah, Luther, Luther, uh, yeah, Luther gave a speech about how they were gonna um, do their you know do this excellent job and get their place back in the crusade. And then he like instantly says to Zahario. I just made that. <laughs> yeah, that was a lie. That was a lie, son. Um, whereas he'd, he'd been, he'd have been better off just lying to Zahario as well, probably, uh, given that the way things go. But um, it was, uh, it was also interesting to hear that during that whole, uh, the whole journey back in the warp, and even now, um. Luther has taken Zahariel as like a personal aid, obviously to keep him close. And you're never quite sure, is that because they have a bond or is it because he's sort of keeping an eye on him? Because obviously Zahariel's the only one who knows that Luther had this sort of crisis of confidence or yeah, moment of betrayal really is what it was. Yeah. So um, once they return, they meet old Master Remiel, who was um, the master of the... Uh, the aspirants, that's not what they called them in this book, but the, he was responsible for training Namiel and Zahariel. He was just a human. He was um, too old to become uh, Anastardes and um, was even older now um, and was basically an old man. And the new Lord Cypher, who is the the sort of the keeper of the the lore, he's the head the head like a cultural historian really like all the rituals and stuff like that he he kind of maintains that doesn't doesn't he yeah and he's not described very much but he's young and bookish which makes me think he's bad oh we we know he's shifty yeah we know he's shifty from what it says behind like listen to this line behind Remiel. Lord Cypher inclined his head respectively to the Legion's second in command, though Zahario could not help but notice a faint glimmer, glitter of amusement in the warrior's eyes. I mean, yeah. in these books, that means... Glittering eyes. <laughs> <laughs> I have to say, glittering eyes is, is one of the... 
like the biggest tropes used in Victorian romantic novels. <laughs> you know, a, a dashing hero with glittering eyes is a bad boy. It'd be great if the Lord Cipher turned out to just be like Mr. Darcy, um, <laughs> just a really charming. <laughs> yeah, but but awkward in social situations. <laughs> yeah. um, uh, let, um, let me introduce you to my sister, Georgiana. Um, <laughs> but there, there's more to be said here. I, I have wanted to bring this up before, but it's never come up. But you've brought sorry. this up. Is uh, it, sorry, it, kismet. I, what? Uh, yeah, I don't want to put you off your point, so I'll let you go and I'll put a pin in what I'm going to say. But yeah, carry on. Sorry. Okay. Okay. Well, okay. Um, it was about the amount that uh, we know that these uh, Astartes are inhuman and uh, like stupid and. Uh, it's very difficult to write a story with them. But the amount that they can infer from the state of people's eyes is incredible. <laughs> like, like, you know, it's it's not just that this guy had glittering eyes, but that there are smiles that never reach people's eyes. There are, <laughs> uh, like, and I don't know what any of this means. Like, <laughs> like, how are they able to do this? How are they able to tell stories through through the wetness of your eyes? Or, like, I don't know, man. It's, um, I think it's just from not wanting to describe anything in in subtext in people's conversations. I know what you mean about space marines because just even when a, like an incidental character appears, who's like maybe just like an imperial officer or something who's not a space marine they often like just go off like a bomb of charisma compared to like <laughs> yeah. the space marines you spend most of the books with you know yeah. you know they're just like they've got a few lines in like a couple of pages um what was your point was, my point was let's take the pen out of this point and let's uh, off topic and let's get it done with so it was just to say that just to another note for our potential creative writing endeavors um uh sort of uh Jane Austen, uh, Horace Heresy mashup, uh, where you have some sort of um, courtship rituals going on in some kind of uh, imperial fleet. Anyway, um, I think we have sort of um, speculated and really come up that the 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 tropes in the Horace Heresy map almost one to one with Mills and Boonish. Um, romantic fiction and i think there's a lot a lot that we could do between <laughs> a love story between astartes and oh. I, i'm not talking i'm not talking about like amazon self-published filth i'm <laughs> i'm talking about um when brotherhood takes the next step <laughs> <laughs> you know they've they, they've got back from a battle their blood's up. Well, <laughs> they need they need a, they need a further outlet, and, and the, the heretics would just be carving themselves open and like grafting another tentacle on or something. But the the loyalists don't have that. But, so <laughs> what's open to them? But a good hard, good hard fuck. <laughs> you can just see like two. Uh... Two space brains, you know, battle brothers, um, return from the, you know, the fray against the heretics, and they've seen these, you know, they, they can see that like in some twisted level, um, they are fulfilling their desires, you know, by getting like extra arms and claws and shit like that, and they're like, you know, and then 
one of them's like despair in his head in his hand you know what what do we have brother what 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 do we have to to stand against that and then the other brother just like whispers in his ear, in his ear we have love and <laughs> yeah and we have each other <laughs> cue and, sex scene um, <laughs> and did you see um did you see brother cyprian um just flaying some evil heretics when i saw that i mean did you think because maybe i thought i'm not sure but did you think he looked really rather good and, <laughs> and, and the other the other one said i i don't know i mean i i did think what did you say you thought you thought he did i'm like yeah their eyes meet yeah he looked great he looked he looked great in that special new battle armor yes he'd just been polishing it hadn't he and you know like bam but we don't need to go into as i say this isn't tawdry um i want this to be um i want this to be published wait real classy classy real classy um and then there's also think about this think about think about love between two legionaries of different legions they've all got different gimmicks think about the the different interplay where are we in this book yeah okay so uh (laughs) We were how the hell did we spin off into that? Right. Um, we were talking about Lord Cipher. He's got glittering eyes. That's right. But, um, so we know uh, we know he's not to be trusted in any way. Luther, we're pretty sure he's not to be trusted. Um, and Zahariel, we liked from the last time, so I hope they don't do him dirty. Although he's starting to piss me off a bit in this book, and I'm, uh, mm, yeah. yeah. Um, but uh yeah okay so so they just start they just throw themselves into training recruits and do it with great efficiency basically do they do a really good job of yeah. it and they're churning out recruits recruits at a um really high rate and to a really high standard um and sending off reports all the time like really quality um recording processes are going on <laughs> yeah th- 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 no one's paying attention to really uh, on in the crusade um, and and they are there for 50 years doing this and meanwhile nemio is still with the crusade uh well the i guess the main part of the dark angels uh with the, the primarch and they're on the crusade and um he's a he's become a chaplain uh which is the uh the person in sort of charge of the spiritual well-being of uh, the rest of the fighters and this is seen as uh, uh he he sort of often thinks to himself god if uh, if Zahariel could see me as a chaplain because it was always him who was the the true believer if he could see me now god wouldn't that be crazy um yeah. about how he's changed and he says he he often thinks about Zahariel because he could he never got to say goodbye to him because uh uh, Luther and Zahariel were sent away immediately and not given a chance to see him. Uh, but Namiel also has never never been in touch with him, never sent him a letter in 50 years. Um, although he's often started them, he's never finished them. So that's uh, just one more sort of... Uh, the bronze of brotherhood are not, not that strong. I mean, that uh, makes me feel a bit better about, like, um, you know... 
people that I should be in touch with yeah. and stuff like that. <laughs> yeah, indeed, indeed. And when it comes to forty-nine years, I'll write that letter. Um, but no, it, it it's just one more thing that you could you could sort of expect. Um, the rest of the uh, the Dark Angels on Caliban to feel even more abandoned. That um, not only have they been sent home by their Primarch, but all the rest of their brothers have forgotten them in in their eyes at least they they see no other um reason to think otherwise um and it's fairly true it says that um all the messages that are sent from caliban uh the lion has stopped reading them and um sort of lets all that information be uh attended to by uh, lower ranking officials uh, he never even mentions those that he sent back to Caliban. So um, they they have been forgotten. They feel forgotten because they have been forgotten. So Nemio, Lionel Johnson and the rest are in the middle of um, a campaign against some planet or planetary system. Uh, and they get word. I can't remember exactly how they get word, but they find out about the, the betrayal of Horus. Yeah. Um, and so I think at this point it's um, they find out that the the sort of yeah this is like after the massacre in Istvan, isn't it? They, yeah, it's um, it's uh, Istvan has happened, so they know that they know about some but not all of the traitor legions, um, and they know that the heretics are reinforcing their positions on is it Istvan five. Think so, uh, so, yeah. so they uh, before the main uh, fight that happened in book three, um, but they are too far away. That they're in what are called the Shield Worlds, um, which basically their legion is like totally scattered um, because they've been ordered there by Horus, and so the Lion is thinking, yeah, that's a. It's it's obvious that he's tried to scatter our numbers. To avoid, you know, to, to make us a, a less unified fighting force. Oh yeah, he says that. The, yeah, he says that Horus has scattered all the weed. Or he's tried to put the all the legions that he doesn't think will go onto his side in sort of inconvenient yeah uh, places. And so um, they can't join that sort of um, uh, the the uh, group led by the Iron Hands and Ferris Manus to go and attack on Istvan, but. He's taken it upon himself to say that, like, well, we can do something. So he's selected a, a small force to go to a planet called Diamat because there's a, a forge world there that is hugely important for some reason, I think, like in the production of something or other. And if Horus doesn't have that, then he won't be able to resupply. So he is going to go there and protect that forge world. Yeah. Um, and the the... Either they know or they anticipate that there's going to be um, rebel heretic forces um, heading there or, or there already. I can't remember exactly, but uh, yeah, they sort of um, ship off to do that. Uh, and so this is, is this like this is at the same point as like fifty years into the others doing their training thing, isn't it? Yeah, the, the, there was um, there was a jump between. Um, the 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 kind of the Dark Angels returning home to uh, Caliban, 
then a 50 year gap and then uh Namiel, uh is now a hero at the same time as um the lion and Namiel are planning this trip to diamat um we go we cut back to uh Zahariel sending another message um to the fleet saying that master Ramiel is dead and they have increased production and recruiting by this enormous amount and that like it's the most efficient uh, production line basically in the galaxy no other legion has been able to do this but Zahariel presumably for the first time appends this little message just saying like um we're producing all of these warriors, but we only had one battle before you sent us away. We need to be, you know, blooded in war too. Luther's feeling a bit lonely. <laughs> um, can you please, um, like, recall us to the front, to the crusade? Uh, and even if you were only to recall one person, recall Luther because he's very sad. Uh, yeah, so, um, uh, I, I mean, I can't remember the exact timelines of when these stories go back and forth, so we'll just sort of um, deal with it, I guess, as it as it occurs to us. Um, so, and soon after this, they learn that there's a rebellion uh, starting up on Caliban. Um <coughs> And uh, so this turns out that there's been sort of uprisings around the planet um, and uh, it turns out that these have been, this is quite sophisticated and has been planned for like 10 years or something like this. Um, and uh, they start thinking about um, what they're going to do about it and uh, they, I mean, I feel like I'm missing a bit out here, but all I can, all I can remember is that they, arrange a meeting with the we the um it started by um Zahariel meeting Astalan who we met from the last short story oh, that's right yeah um Astalan was the the telltale um who kept on threatening to report back to Caliban uh, well, wasn't Astalan he was the one that got reported on wasn't he was it sure I think so yeah which is confusing I have a point to raise about this later on but like um, it is confusing because that's right. Astalan was reported on by Bella Bellath or something like yeah, that. Something yeah, something like that. Um, did you have a point to bring up, or did you, no? No, did I was just be... going to say like it confuses me a little. What is like what the, the the sort of framing of that short story was that there was a kind of big rift between um, the Calibanites. Uh, <clears throat> and the Terrans, right? But that kind of made out as if, like, the Calibanites were closer to... I mean, maybe this is a whole separate thing. It just doesn't overlap with the rift we see in this story, but the, like, the Calibanites were closer to Lionel Johnson and were kind of, you know, um, being yeah. sent out to kind of take over from the Terrans because that was sort That's of a the, good point. The, the dispute between them. But in this one, it's like... So a lot of Calibanites have been sent back to in sort of semi-disgrace, yeah. or in the field disgrace too. Anyway, so I don't really know what's going on with all that. <coughs> but anyway. Uh, yeah, Aslan is there. Um, so, sorry, I, I muted my mic there. Um, I wonder if I did it because it 
uh, I wanted to cough. So maybe the cough was recorded and my uh, talking was not. So that might be a bit that we need <laughs> we need to cut out. Um, Astalan is also like, he was very heroic in the last story. It was Belak or Belathal or whatever, um, who was the snide character. But yeah. Astalan is really shown to be a, like a dick in this. Uh, Luther has cancelled all transport of Astartes and Materiel off the planet. Uh, Zahariel, uh, for the first time, but very, but very far from the last time, gasps in amazement and says, no, but we've got quotas to make. Uh, and so he goes to uh, talk to Luther. Luther says that we've actually been having cuts in production because of worker protests and strikes and i was like oh god don't don't be don't be an anti-worker book you know that's not what i want please and that it's cut production by like 15 percent, and that luther has been making up the uh the shortfall from the stocks in um the armory of the the astartes keep and uh zahariel gasps uh because they've been like their stocks and supplies are basically depleted now they've been uh, absolutely used up by luther's apparent stupidity um and this is where zahariel first starts questioning luther's ability and even loyalty Okay, so yeah, does Astalan, he just sort of makes a cameo there and doesn't really crop up again, doesn't he? Because yeah, I, cause I, I got him mixed up with this guy called Ascalon later on. Yes, uh, but he's he's on the ship, isn't he? Yes, correct. Okay, so yeah, so there's rising sense of rebellion on, on Caliban and Nemio and, and Lionel Johnson and the rest of them in the other storyline are off in a pretty small but... Um, uh, capable fleet to to go to this forge world diamat and there's a big space battle um yeah i i, I was reading this just going i'm not going to describe any of this <laughs> <laughs> it's good like it is good it is quite good yeah uh, but the details are not necessary <laughs> how how um lionel johnson sort of overcame the uh the the fact that they were outnumbered seemed really like it didn't seem like tactical genius which is how it was meant to appear um basically there there was a a rank of scout ships at the front and then the heavier battleships behind and um the the two fleets scout ships engage and they do you know battle and um each suffer losses but it seems like Lionel Johnson's fleet come out on top and then the scout ships of um, the Imperial fleet just fly around the other fleet and then hit, <laughs> hit them from the back that's it <laughs> I mean, basically like yeah I suppose to be fair it probably maybe it's hard to describe tactical genius because it is you know tactical genius um, uh, m- maybe I just know so little about it that that I'm sort of giving it short shrift, and that it it, it it was actually described very well. And people who know military maneuvers and stuff will be like, "Oh, genius!" But no, I, I I it was described perfectly well for me to go along with it, and and 
um, it'd be a kind of quite exciting uh, battle scene. But yeah, <laughs> it's exactly that in my memory. Like oh, I sent some other ships around the back and they shot them up. And yeah, it basically ship- created uh, somehow created a pincer movement from just two fleets being directly in front of each other. <laughs> like, well, that maybe that may, tactical genius is probably being able to do that. Um, yeah. That sounds pretty clever to me, so actually, it, now that it, I've said it. Yeah, it's one where we just have to accept that something genius happened. We don't we don't have the genius to know how it happened, but yeah. it did. Um, Back on Caliban, that, that's something that I want to uh, praise this book for. There is no... Of none of that fat that we talk about, you know, the the chit chat, the downtime, uh, it just cuts all over the place, and shit is happening all the time. So at the same time this is happening, back on Caliban, the insurrection has grown massively. It's out in the open. They're attacking like uh, oil tankers and uh, all of this stuff. It's uh, it's out front. All the the people of uh, Caliban, all the warriors, all the different sort of sections of the Imperium know it's there and they're all having a, a moan uh, about all of this. Um, Luther and Sahariel obviously sort of slightly suspect each other um, of, of something. They don't know of what. Um, but Luther invites Sahariel to this like secret night meeting and it turns out to be the head of the rebels have come under a flag of parley. Yeah, and and they are what these rebels are being led by the members of the knightly orders who didn't join the Dark Angels, basically. Yeah, and they they give their wish list basically, which is for freedom from the Imperium, uh, and they say they they want freedom that all the forests have gone, the villages, all the mountains, the culture. The knightly orders, um, all of the uh, serfs that used to work or that used to be indentured to the knightly orders, all gone. Oh, and also, we're poor now, and uh, we used to be super, super rich. They've, I mean, they've got some strong arguments. Uh, these rebels, like they're basically saying, look, we used to um, people work all day um, in these factories and um, mines or whatever. And they, for it to go off to some crusade that you know it may as well not be happening as far as they uh, know about it. Their wives have got worse. They, you know, I mean, they've cut down loads of forests. It sounds like they have a much uh, shitter uh, standard of living, and um, so they're rebelling. It all sounds uh, pretty reasonable. But uh, but but also these are the rich. Oh yeah, true. They just they're just like. Um, it sounds like they're harnessing, like they just want their power. Back. Yeah, exactly. But, like they, their arguments are good, but their chief argument, which they're not making as their chief argument, is we have lost our position of of privilege in this society, and we want it back. Although, yeah, like they do sort of make an argument on the basis of society as a whole. Basically, they're like, yeah, actually, we do want that back, um, but that's still uh, better for the people than the way they live now basically which sort of has seems reasonable <laughs> it, it well it to them we haven't got we haven't got the voice of those people because True. um the the people who are now working in these like terrible conditions and stuff 
were the people who were being picked off by mountain lions and stuff in in the forest. But like, I agree. I I told I'm not saying oh yes, this is uh, uh it's better. Um, but what I'm saying is that we don't know uh, what is better. It could just be that you know the peasantry, the people of this planet, would be swapping one shit situation for another. Um, I what would be good would be uh, a third option which is neither the imperials or these um sort of uh three order douchebags yeah um yeah no yeah that's a fair point obviously we don't see from the perspective of the the common people of caliban uh, really at all um at least so far um but yes yeah, okay so so that they're having this meeting. Zahariel is all outraged and says, "No, in the Imperium, how we deal with enemies and traitors is we just obliterate them. We don't speak to them." <laughs> yeah, uh, and he experiences some headaches. Oh yeah, some some psychic headaches. some psychic headaches, which um, haven't shown up later on in the book, but they, uh, you know. You don't write a headache and then it turns out just to be a headache. <laughs> that's it. That's <laughs> it. Um, I, I think that's true for any fiction, to be honest. There is, you know, it's Chekhov's headache. Uh, yeah, so he he is not happy about this, but Luther, basically they don't... He's getting the vibe that perhaps Luther feels an affinity with these... Um, knights, but there's no agreement made at the meeting. Yeah. But Luther does have a little whispering conversation, or no, maybe not a whispering, but but Zahario can't make out the words with one of these knights before uh, they take off on their transport thing. But he does like he goes over to him at the end and says, "Yo, what was that? Uh, what was that secret looking conversation you just had?" <laughs> you know. Like, <laughs> Like all, undercuts it completely from like the next paragraph, and um, uh, Luther says that Sardaviel just told him. Sardaviel is one of the five rebel leaders. Um, says that the forests may be gone, but the monsters still remain, and that the lion has betrayed them. Yeah. <clears throat> yeah. Um. So uh, let's jump back to. Diamat. Yeah. Diamat. No fat. Warfare. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So they've smashed up the enemy fleet, uh, at least sufficiently to be able to get to the planet, and they fire down the, the space marines in um, like drop pod things. <clears throat> Has there ever been uh, a successful drop pod land? <laughs> <laughs> also, a thing that became increasingly common in the short story collection was teleportation. That's um, right. Yeah. Uh, but now it's yeah, <laughs> I don't, yeah, that's true. Just teleport um, them. But anyhow, they use drop pods, which is certainly more fun from a dramatic point of view. I would say because um, so they something gets messed up in their drop, they get they skid off course or fly off course because they like as they're getting dropped, another ship hits them or something. Yeah, like they're that. they're all scattered all over and. Um, uh, they did have this like awesome plan uh, and during the scattering they do a bit of sort of mental maths and go oh shit we're just going to be landing right in the shit yeah so 
so they uh, so they land in the middle of a ruin or something. Sorry, uh, ne- uh, Nemio was going around with this crew, like led by a sergeant or something called Cole, um, and they have a lot of like space marine banter. Going oh, it's on. fierce banter. <laughs> <laughs> like you read it and you know that the impression this is meant to give of like a a hard bitten group of boys that have seen too much together but it's led to like such strong bonds of of um, of brotherhood that they're they're just like making sort of quips at, about each other and stuff and you're just reading it just going this is shit <laughs> like like i have fiercer banter with enemies you do you know what i mean <laughs> but I, I suppose that kind of works because um the uh all space marines are unimaginative you know uh idiot characters so maybe their banter it just naturally sucks yeah this is like turgadon level banter oh like, god uh, basically um so uh so anyway they they're in a bit of a shit situation but they managed to extract themselves and I they're just, kind of like the rebels are fighting they're not fighting space marines at this point are they they're, it's just like rebel yeah it's all, all rebel army um they discovered this they thought yeah Horace is going to be keeping all his Astartes all his best warriors with him uh, for the Istvan siege so it's all like a human army and sort of second class uh, shit fighters but they're still massively outnumbered and they just spent this point just um, going around and uh, regrouping with all of their scattered forces and then when they do you know, hit them. They hit them pretty hard. Yeah, I did. I did quite enjoy this little bit here, where um, so they they were communicating with um, you know the uh, leaders of their force, and uh, they they knew that there was another drop pod had gone down quite near them that was at risk of getting like um, captured or by the enemy forces. So they they sort of bash their way through a few ruined buildings and stuff to get to this yeah and um i just quite enjoyed this moment because like i don't think it had made clear unless i just totally missed it that this drop pod was not occupied by a bunch of space marines by them like them but uh just one dreadnought was inside the drop pod and um that was just pretty cool when uh he came out and uh laid himself in the mixer basically yeah laid about him i i I, it was um in this chapter that um i i got to really liking mike lee's writing style yeah it's very uh, clear it's simple uh it's lacking the sort of unnecessary adornments uh that other authors have gone for is um it really works and i think that's also reflected in the fact that there there is none of the those you know, downtimes in the warp as as they're like polishing their armor or fighting in cages or whatever that are really boring. He's just yeah. gone, no, cut, 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 always something. There's really hard cuts. There's an awful lot of missing time. Um but it's it's actually better for that. Um and uh yeah, I think I it was chapter five, this chapter that I was like, you know what, this is really good. <laughs> yeah. Like I yeah I did I agree that he's like his prose is relatively efficient you know compared to 
um, a lot of what we've read, and we did enjoy his short story. Yeah, and, totally. And so hopefully he will continue to be good in his future books that we, well, past, but our future books. Um, but uh, yeah, so Caliban! Back to Caliban. So that, um, <laughs> so the rebellion's getting pretty bad. The So the Imperial troops on Caliban have been fighting the rebellion, but it's pretty significant and they're having trouble with it and they're sort of they're carrying the rebels are carrying out sort of bombing or kind of like trying to take down imperial craft uh that are flying uh onto the planet or off the planet and um they're they're hitting uh important points in supply lines and stuff so they're not just attacking ships but they're attacking attacking outposts and that kind of thing yeah, and so there's we we kind of are in a conference situation. Ah, uh, more conference rooms. <laughs> where where um, Luther is there, and uh, there's like an army general. There's a woman. Um, I can't remember Magus, their names. Magus something. Yeah, um, she's like in charge of uh, production quotas. Basically, is she from the Ministorum? Um. Magos Administratum. Administratum. Um, chief is the chief imperial bureaucrat on Caliban. Okay, and she's called Talia Bosk. She was good, right? I liked her. She had some. This is what I was meaning earlier on about like uh, compared to the Space Marines. Just when a normal person turns up, they like they're just abound in charisma by comparison. And like, I'm sure she had on some. She had on like, I think it was her. She had like said like she had some sort of. <laughs> tattoo that like projected a hologram like a small distance above her skin yeah of, like <laughs> yeah and she had like finger things that were like ornately inscribed with like uh patterns arcane patterns and shit yeah she would have looked great yeah so she's like she's basically saying and i think the general is essentially agreeing with her even though they piss each other off that like the like why the fuck are you not sending in the space marines basically um they're yeah. saying to to luther and luther's like well it's <laughs> i would find the right moment for it yeah it's, it's more of a police matter really i think the uh we'll send in the uh the the armed forces whenever it's more yeah fuck off <laughs> doing his best boris johnson that being said um i kind of like luther for the fact that he's probably going to be rebelling in the second part of this book that we discuss, and I'm all probably, probably. Like, I mean, the problem is he's gonna. This seems like a separate. Um, at this point, this is like a separate issue from the the Horus Heresy, but it's 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 obviously they're going to send some some chaos. Uh, goons are gonna make a showing, I think. Um, and it's going to get all caught up into that. But at this point, I can support this rebellion, you know, to an yeah. extent. Like, um, but uh, but Luther's not openly rebelling at this point, but Zahariel is, like, tired of Luther's inaction, if you like, and he, I can't remember exactly how he does it, but he basically says, we're going to... Um, yeah, the, the, uh, the, what, what happens is that while they're having this conference, um, they get word that this entire... Um, 
outpost had been attacked and had stopped communicating, like their radio had stopped working. So they'd sent in a quick reaction squad and they had lost contact immediately as well. And so um, the Bosque is like, isn't this the isn't like what time are you waiting for? If not this time <laughs> to send in, um, you know, to perform some uh, proper social distancing. Uh, if not this time, when? When? And uh, Boris Johnson, I mean Luther says, um, he says, and Zahario goes, listen, madam, um, my friend here, my good friend Luther has said uh, that we will send in the Astartes when it comes time. And this is obviously the right time. He was just about to say that. And, <laughs> and Luther like glares at him because he's you know just been uh, subverted and goes yes i agree you know like through <laughs> gritted teeth um and yeah i really liked to Hariel at that point for just like <laughs> stepping up and taking taking the reins whenever it was clear that luther was just like prevaricating too much and it, it is obviously a breaking moment for these two, you know, they can't really trust each other after after this point. Nothing's out in the open, but you know, they yeah. they can't really. So that's uh, where we're going to weave it. Yeah, I should apologize. I I wanted to get further on in the book, but um, with this week being how it's been, I have found it hard to like sit down and find calm time to be able to dedicate to like reading. Um, yeah, so the next episode will be uh, most of the well, will be the rest of the book, and will be sort of most of the book. But that was that was quite. I think it is quite a good place to stop. Um, or it's you know it's a logical point where that seems like um, their relationship has come to this breaking point, like you say. And plus, we needed to you know it was good to have time to do the background chat from the last book. So and obviously you needed a um, you needed like five minutes or so to get things off your chest about uh, <laughs> the government and so on so uh that's that's good um so yeah okay well uh so we'll be back in a couple of weeks with uh, part two of fallen angels we may do a bonus episode at some point um yeah we've got uh we or no we had a few ideas we wanted to record didn't have time to record them but we've got a bit of um material uh that we, we can use we did record a bit of Oh, that's right. right. God, I haven't listened to that since. I wonder what that's like. (laughs) Well, yeah, we'll maybe have one or two bonus episodes coming up soonish. But yeah, thanks for listening. If you would like to uh, get in contact with us, you can email us at horusheretics at gmail.com. We appreciate you listening, um, appreciate hearing from you. uh, But uh, yeah, that's. uh, Have you got anything else to add, Neil? No, that's it. That's it. Okay, see you next time. Bye. Bye.